Shea butter and popcorn. <laughs> okay, let's start the show. Sit back, relax, and listen. Friday's gonna have you glistening. Get ready for a real good vibe. Shea butter and popcorn. Now live. Welcome to Shea butter and popcorn with Taj and Chels, season two, episode three. Shea Butter and Popcorn is the all-inclusive podcast giving you the exclusive. This podcast focuses on reviewing our favorite films. My name is Chelsea, a.k.a. Chels, singer, actor, and all-around movie lover. Taji, let them know who you are and what we're talking about today. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your girl, Tajiana, a.k.a. Taj. I am also an actress and filmmaker and activist. And today we are talking about my favorite documentaries yay oh my gosh documentaries oh are yeah so enjoyable seriously they're amazing Love it. i mean if people say that they're boring but i mean I they're kind of lame for that but whatever it's fine i don't think they're boring at all i think they're great they're so fun to watch like i'll be looking up all kinds of documentaries and they're enjoyable because if you're into a certain topic and subject you want to know more about it then you can look at a documentary it's great so much research you know you find so much from reading that type of stuff um and googling that and seeing it seeing that type of content out there um for instance i recently deceased tony morrison rest in peace prolific author like i knew about her through her language and through her books and she the documentary that i watched the pieces i am was just eye-opening with her journey how she became so impactful and influential. There are so many different documentary categories just to choose from, just to find out so much about a certain person. Um, I'm obsessed with music documentaries, obviously. Love it. We don't get into it. Right? So I'll be discussing some of those this week. And today, that will be my main focus, music documentaries. So buckle up. There will be singing. There will be asides. There will be song references. I'll be singing all up and down this episode. So I love it. Oops. <laughs> Oops. She's a singer. What did y'all think? What did y'all think was going to happen? Y'all oh, knew well. it was coming. You knew it was coming. You didn't know when. Well, it's season two, episode three. So there you go. Period, hunty. 2020, season two. We bossing up and we singing on the episodes. On I love episode. it. Not me. Just Chelsea. Just to be clear. <laughs> okay so first film i'm going to talk about first documentary is 20 feet from stardom it came out in 2013 directed by morgan neville this is an amazing doc the title kind of give it gives it away 20 feet from stardom it shows that these people are a short walk from the limelight um being the front man or being the lead singer it's a short walk but kind of a long walk um, in sorts, making making that jump. Um, when I was 17, I was a backup singer for A Taste of Honey. Fun fact. Another fun fact, I actually did a class presentation about this documentary for a sociology class once in college, freshman year. Shout out to Pasadena the City College, PCC. Oh yeah, yeah PCC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did a uh, really cool presentation researching about music and uh, social commentary, social justice, because I was a, a sociology of the african-american class that year and i absolutely love this movie i have it on dvd this film really captures the trials and lives of unsung background singers you really fall in love with the stories of these artists like 
Darlene Love, Mary Clayton, Lisa Fisher, Judith Hill, and the Waters family, just to name a few. Um, there's so many people that are referenced who were singing back up um, to artists like Lou Reed, Sting, the Rolling Stones, David Bowie, Joe Cocker, all of these artists and others like that had these powerful Black women singing behind them, giving the song the elevation it needed. Um, one of the songs Lou Reed sings, Walk on the Wild Side, one of the lines in the songs is, and all the colored girls sing, do, 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 do. And that was referencing the culture of that era. For example, some of the people that are highlighted in this film, you have Lynn Mabry, who sang backup for artists like Bette Midler and the incredible Fleetwood Mac, and later the incomparable Stevie Nicks. I love me some Stevie Nicks, y'all. When she started doing solo music, um, Mary Clayton started singing backup for Ray Charles and actually recalls recording Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner. Y'all know, Sweet Home Alabama. There goes. She was totally against it at first because of the race relations during that era in Alabama. But she said that she sang this song as if it was an oxymoron singing Sweet Home Alabama because of what was going on during that time and in that era. She said that when she had the singles word, she was thinking like, oh, ha, Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah, right. When she was singing it. She also recalls getting up in the wee hours of the morning and she was pregnant with curlers in her hair one night to record the chorus for Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. And so when they had called her on the phone, she was actually like, uh, who, who am I, who am I uh, doing this job for? Who is this for, this artist? And they're like, the Rolling Somebodies. And they're from England. And she had like no idea who that was, you know, Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. And she just remembers that they had this British accent and they wanted her to sing dark content. If y'all know the song, uh, Gimme Shelter, most of y'all know it, you know, it goes, Ray Mata is just a shot away. It's just a shot away. And she's like, okay, what am I singing? What is this? Um, and so she just took it and ran with it and just like the riffing that she does. Y'all have to watch it. It's an amazing theme. Seriously. I'm most definitely finna watch this. I haven't seen it. It is but. so good. Oh my gosh. Yes. Mary Clayton is one of the greatest, definitely, and um holding it down. Legendary backup singer. Um, the Waters family is also mentioned in this documentary. The Waters family is actually, they reside in Altadena. They sing back up for David Bowie and songs like Young Americans alongside Luther Vandross. Um, y'all know the record. Young Americans. She was a young American all night. The Waters family actually voiced the animal calls in Avatar, 2009's Avatar, as well as Lion King movies in the 90s, Lion King 1 and 2. Another song that they do a beautiful rendition of in this film is Nobody's Fault But Mine. Now, this is an old gospel record. And there's this one clip when they were talking about recording different songs and covering different genres. And um, Nobody's Fault But Mine goes, um, Nobody's Fault But Mine. It's old, so, you know. Nobody's Fault But Mine. Mm, mm. Mm. If I mm. die and my soul be lost, nobody's fault but mine. Another person that is referenced in this movie is Claudia Lanier, who actually started the same week she got the call to be an Iquette with the Ike and Tina Turner review. Now, I love Tina Turner. Oh, my gosh. Queen Tina. 
During her career, she was also a backup singer for Joe Cocker, as well as a backup singer and dancer for the Iquettes, Rolling Stones. Um, very uh, long career in that music business, especially working with Ike and Tina. And actually, what she had talked about was how since she was coming up more in the women's lib uh, movement that with Tina Turner, that's when they started wearing more revealing clothing and like doing these intense dance routines and things like that. Um, for those of you who don't know, one of Beyonce's biggest inspirations is Tina Turner. And if you kind of look at the um, clips that they show in this documentary with Tina Turner and the Iquettes and things like that in the show, you kind of see some glimpse in, in inspirational material that Beyonce has pulled from in her own shows and her own um, performances, which I'll get to later on in this episode. Um, we also talk about Lisa Fisher, um, recording bits of her doing um, Howls of Winter by Sting in the studio. Uh, sidebar, Sting's actually on Broadway right now for The Last Ship, his musical on Broadway. So that was pretty cool to find out. But Howls of Winter is a beautiful song and she, her vocal range is just immaculate. She's so gifted. She also sang for the Rolling Stones as well. She won a Grammy in 1992 for her 1991 record, How Can I Ease the Pain? You know, how can I ease the pain when I know you're coming back again? How can I ease the pain in my heart? You better sing. <laughs> Old Army. Love it. <laughs> Thanks, girl. And then... One story I wanted to talk about, and I had to save this for the end as well, um, is Darlene Love. Darlene Love's story is almost a cautionary tale of redemption. You know, Darlene Love, she was on basically what she called a slave contract with Phil Spector and his record company. And she actually had to end up starting over. Um, she had sung so many amazing songs like He's a Rebel, Christmas, Baby Please Come Home, Chapel of Love, White Christmas, just to name a few. And a lot of the songs that she sang back up to were, um, she was, her voice was like dubbed and used for someone else's vocals. So actually they kind of basically, quote unquote, kind of stole her voice, um, if that makes sense. So she would sing the song, but she was kind of like a, a ghost singer for another artist. And um, she was just on this contract where she was doing this stuff and not being able to break out on her own. She ended up cleaning houses. And as the documentary tells it, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home came on the radio. And she's all like, you know what? I still want my dream. I still want my dream to sing. I still want to do this. And so she just got back into it and just started from the bottom and just worked her way back up again. Um, she was the wife to Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon and the Lethal Weapon series um, as well. She also did a bit of acting and I believe she got inducted back into the um, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So that was a really amazing moment for her kind of a beautiful story of redemption. This film won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature at the 2014 Oscars. Watching this film is like watching the first half of Dreamgirls, but in real time because you know in Dreamgirls they were backup singers movie's amazing i feel like anyone can enjoy it and take away some great nuggets from this movie so this is available to stream on netflix that is 20 feet from stardom our next movie i'm going to talk about is amy 2015 directed by ac capadia this movie is so gut-wrenching but it's 
really excellent in its execution. This basically tells the tragic story through exclusive footage, interviews, music, and pictures of the late Amy Winehouse. Um, powerful vocalist. She definitely had a troubled life. I think Valerie and Tears Draw on their own are my favorite songs by her, though. Um, Amy's life struggles were at times as publicly discussed, unfortunately, as her music was um, in her career. But whatever your stance is on the late English songstress, she sang with feeling and she meant every word uh, that she that she sang. Um, I feel like you could really feel the pain in her words. I liken it to um, Billie Holiday in a sense as well. Definitely a star gone too soon. Um, this film won the Academy Award as well for Best Documentary Feature at the 2016 Oscars. It's available to stream on Netflix. The next doc I'm going to talk about is Gaga, Five Foot Two, 2017, directed by Chris McCarvel. This film is pure fun. I mean, I feel like you don't have to be a converted Gaga fan to enjoy this movie. Um, this film really follows her as a performer and the behind-the-scenes content that really shows the magic of a great show, how a great show comes together, which is all in the details. Gaga is preparing for the Super Bowl performance as she performs at other places and venues as well with like Tony Bennett and other people like that as well. She's doing her music video shoots and in the studio with different artists, um, producers like Mark Ronson and Florence and the Machine. She's singing with Florence as well. And she's such a hard worker, shows her perseverance and tenacity to do what she loves um, because it's her true passion. And um, in the doc, it's kind of funny looking back when I was watching it the other day, um, she had balloons all in her house because she was, she had just been cast in A Star is Born because <laughs> this was 2017. And so then Star is Born came out the next year. Um, yeah, it's a really exciting, inviting documentary that's available to stream on Netflix. Yeah. So watching. Oh yeah, it's so good. You gotta watch it. Um, the last documentary I'm gonna talk about. Well, it's a documentary, but it's also a concert film. But then also, like, I love this woman so much. Taj loves this woman so much. So, so much is like an understatement. I can't even. I can't. This, when I saw this. I'm okay. I'm gonna just let you talk about it. <laughs> okay, I'm talking about Homecoming 2018. Queen B, okay? Period. Not only period. she period, period, honey. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Not only is she one of my biggest inspirations, but she's an icon. She breaks records left and right. She leaves her imprint. And Legacy is one of the hardest working women in show business with a very, very strong drive. Like the way she pushed herself to do Coachella actually beachella the way she pushed herself to do beachella like y'all Cella. literally watch it literally watch it and you will respect her so much more as an artist i personally don't consider myself like a part of the beehive necessarily but i definitely i definitely y'all are crazy i definitely um i am a fan i i personally um, I feel like growing up with old old Beyonce, you know, it's it's always like, you know, the original quote unquote 
you know, people always say the original is always better, right? I don't know if it's necessarily better. I think it's just change of flavor, but, um, and which we're, we're going to talk about um, sequels soon. But I think that you will respect her so much more as an artist after you watch this documentary and see what it takes. And you're going to respect performers all over so and much more. Put into it, like, and the dancers and everything like that. Okay, so the documentary, it's about her doing Coachella. She's headlining it. And she's the first black woman to headline Coachella. Just the fact of the matter of how she pushes herself and gets to where she wants to go uh, physically, like dropping the weight, uh, being in the gym, the rehearsals with the dancers, the way the dancers are giving their all and were able to just freak it and put their own stank on it in the best way. Like she does embodies that dream you know what i mean it's one for the book she won't be disappointed watching this it's available to stream on netflix it's so incredible um yes i've been a beyonce fan since destiny's child okay since like say my name and survivor and all of that so watching her grow and like evolve as an artist has been so amazing i know that some people do feel that way with like the beehive being crazy and i'll admit yeah the beehive can be she was, she'd be like, can y'all calm down and stop like tell them to calm stop down. talking to people like that. And then they're like, mm-hmm. you be quiet. It's not about you. We're defending you. And it's like, but nobody asked y'all to defend me like this, but okay. I love you. Bye. Like, it's so interesting. She's like, Ooh, you know what I mean? I mean, I totally get that part of it. That part's a little, a little out there, a little left for me too. <laughs> um, just being able to uh, watch her career and just see this black woman, like, take the stage and just like state her claim and just like be a legend at everything she does. It's I'm in awe of her. I love her so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Homecoming. I've seen this documentary, Jesus, two, three times now. Good Lord. It's an event y'all just from it's the event. scene when they're walking down that runway. Oh my gosh. And the fierceness of the dancers and like, uh, every time I watch it, it's like the first time. That's what I'm saying. Every time. Those are my documentaries for this week. Taji, let them know what yours are. Yes. So I have multiple documentaries. Some are longer than others. um, And I'll get into the different forms um, of each documentary and why I love them. So I'm going to start off with um, 13th. Um, If you guys are familiar, 13th is a documentary on Netflix. Um, It is directed by Ava DuVernay, my queen. Um, This film um, was uh, distributed in 2016, so it's been a cool minute. Um, And this documentary explores the intersection of race, justice, and mass incarceration in the U.S. So it is titled after the 13th Amendment to the the U.S. Constitution, um, which was um, made in 1865. And if you're not familiar, the um, amendment abolished slavery, supposedly, through the U.S. and ended involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for conviction of a crime. So with that being said, um, DuVernay, in this documentary, she explores um this topic of social justice and mass incarceration specifically towards black and brown men um, and talks about how slavery is perpetuated through um, 
through now from, you know, since the Civil War, criminalizing behavior, um, which is which gives police and, you know, law enforcement the upper hand to arrest them um, because, like the amendment says, except, you know, punishment for conviction of a crime. So, you know, if they, you know, our country has a history of, you know, going to the extremes. So once they maxed out their blatant slavery card, it was like, okay, well, how can we still keep them um, less than, okay, well, we're going to put except as a punishment for conviction of a crime. So if we can frame you as a criminal or find things um, and market them as criminal behavior, it'll still be within our quote unquote, quote, reasonable laws. So it it examines um, the prison industrial complex um, and um, the emerging detention industrial complex. And it discusses how much money is being made by these corporations um, from incarcerating people. Um, 13th was, uh, wow, it was so good. Um, And so it got a really good response from critics and it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature um, at the 89th Academy Awards. It won a primetime primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Documentary or Nonfiction Special at the 69th Primetime Emmy Awards. And on the other hand, (laughs) New York Magazine film critic David Edelstein writing in Vulture noted, you'd think from 13th that crime didn't exist. So it's a very, very, um, it's a very forward documentary that gets everybody um, talking. This documentary is what made me want to pursue um, artivism in terms of putting art, um, putting art into film, um, putting art into activism, all that type of stuff, putting those uh, things side by side. Um, This is when I really begun to, um, or this is when I began to fall in love with Ava's work and uh, just really, it really opened my eyes and I started reading The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. And I really, really became passionate about um, just justice for our people, specifically um, our black men and um, mass incarceration in the prison industrial complex, which is why I want to make a nonprofit eventually in the future that, or a production company that donates um, towards uh, those who are incarcerated to help them get, um, you know, re-immersed back into society when they get out. So, but that that's a that's a far dream, but far but close. So stay tuned. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's 13th. If you haven't watched it, oh my gosh, it's still on Netflix, guys. Next documentary. This documentary I watched in my sociology class. I think it was beginning of senior year of college. Um, I took a sociology class, loved my professor. She was great. And she had us watch this documentary. It's um, an older one. It's called Behind the Swoosh, Nike Sweatshops and Social Justice. So basically, um, this documentary, it's on YouTube. You can find it. Um, You can find it um, if you just type in that title. Um, It was distributed around 2011 um, in July. And you um, you can find it there. Watch it. I would highly suggest watching it more than once. <laughs> um, so this video um, explores the sweatshop issue, which is a big issue in our country um, because obviously we like cheap labor. We're cheap. We want to exploit people so that we cannot have to pay hella money for the things. So <laughs> using Nike as a case study, the film documents firsthand the widespread and oppressive and exploitive 
labor practices in the developing world, used as a resource by faculty members and community leaders across the country, Behind the Swoosh is appropriate for use in classrooms, libraries, conferences, churches, community centers, and union halls. So this, this video, it's, it's widely spread, um, especially if you're a student who is studying sociology, I would highly recommend. Um, you will see them go into the different sweatshops. Um, a lot of them overseas are in like, uh, a lot of them are in Asia. I think, the, I believe they went to the Philippines, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but they went across, across seas. They looked at, you know, the conditions that these workers are forced to live in, um, the wages that they make that don't support, um, they're not livable wages. So looking at how that affects their living habits, what food they have access to, what type of housing they have access to, what type of water they have access to, and et cetera. Um, the film also goes in and looks at, you know, us as consumers, we're forced to consume, right? So it looks at us as consumers and also um, finally the big, the big heads of the corporations. Um, and they actually, they actually, I think, um, I don't know if Nike has changed management um, since then. I know they're trying to do better. I think Adidas is probably the highest in terms of sustainable um, fashion. I'm not, I'm not sure I might be incorrect on that, but the last I checked, I think Adidas was the most favorable on the sustainable meter, but in the documentary on YouTube, it's only about 20 minutes. I'd, uh, I would highly recommend watching it. You can see them going and actually talking to, um, I believe it was one of the, uh, the CEO of Nike or one of the leaders of Nike. And they, they really do go in, in this documentary. So, um, watch how it plays out. Um, and definitely, you know, keep in mind that as we're um, consuming, um, how that affects, how that affects people. Yeah, it made me think about my personal um, choices in terms of like, why am I buying shoes um, that I don't need, but they just look nice. Um, so I definitely do try to limit myself and try to advocate for those um, who are um, working in these stores and are not getting paid um, as much as they should. So Definitely, definitely watch it. It'll make you reconsider some things for sure. The next documentary is going to be, um, if you guys are familiar with Marie Kondo, she has um, a documentary series on Netflix called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Um, Marie Kondo, also known as KonMari, is a Japanese organizing consultant and author. Kondo has written four books on organizing, which have co collectively sold millions of copies around the world. Um, so um, we get to see this Japanese woman get our lives together because, yeah, we need all of the help. She um, has this series, which I think it's about 10 episodes. Um, and she basically goes into people's homes and she helps them get their lives. Basically, she helps them clean up. She helps them. Is, and it's not about just cleaning up and organizing and getting your life together. It's about doing it in a way that is, um, that is, I guess, effect that looks nice aesthetically and can, um, something that you can maintain. Um, so the KonMari method it's supposed to be simple. It's a way of simplifying everything and getting getting rid of physical items that don't bring joy to your life. So if it doesn't bring joy to your life, you thank it for, for being there and then you throw it away. And I love it. Um, so she also advises people to um, 
fold their clothes a certain way so that when you put them in your drawers, it stands up so that you can see the clothes um, that you need instead of like rummaging through and you can't see them. And then that makes you throw them back in there all unorganized and stuff like that. Like, I just love all the different things that she shows us like folding methods and, you know, how to go start cleaning. Um, Like, you know, you have to take everything excuse me you have to take everything from one room and make it put it in a pile and then go through item by item because if you try to do it in sections you get you know all over the place like I just love how she approaches it and so very thankful for her and her tips so if you guys have the time I would definitely go on Netflix and watch the tidying up series with Marie Kondo lastly um there is a short short uh doc on YouTube produced by The Guardian Um, where they have eight Black women discuss the politics of skin tone. Um, You guys know that colorism runs heavy in our culture um, of Blackness. And I I just love this little series that they did. It's short. It's only about six minutes. And um, The Guardian says... As a part of our Shades of Black series, we invited eight women to talk about their experience of colorism in their relationships, careers, and everyday life. Colorism is the discrimination against individuals with a dark skin tone. This means that darker-skinned Black people have to fight prejudice even within their own community where lighter skin is seen as more desirable. As such, darker-skinned Black people can experience both racism and colorism, which is why I, I it's just those of a darker hue have it so much worse than other people because of that last statement. Not only can they experience racism, so receiving, you know, that discrimination from um, the powers that be, <laughs> right? The, the people who think that they're all that in the world, um, <laughs> Chelsea's face. Um, but in addition to that, they can also experience colorism. And because racism influences you know, black people, and it makes us, you know, big headed, a lot of light skinned people, um, you know, feel that they are better than so because their skin tone is closer in proximity to whiteness. So I think that it's important to discuss these topics. I even um, did a short documentary about um, colorism with three of my homegirls, um, shameless plug, you can go check it out on my website, Tajiana.com. If you look at the director's tab, you'll see it there. But um, oh my gosh, it was so beautiful. Thanks. Shout out to my co-host because that was amazing. I love that you brought that up, and I love um, the documentary you're talking about now because it reminds me of the 2011 doc. Um, I got the book on it too. What was it? Um, Dark Girls. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Talked about that as well with colorism and everything in in the industry. And so many people spoke on it, like Viola Davis and Vanessa Williams, and it was just it was very powerful. But yeah, I think. Um, our worst enemy can be ourselves sometimes in our own community. So, yeah. mm-hmm. man, I love all of it. Like I can't stop watching these. Um, the grapevine is also a great platform on YouTube that discusses different um, social issues in our society. So I would highly recommend watching stuff from the grapevine as well. Um, but YouTube has a, a plethora of videos um, that you can watch. So support these black um, content creators who are bringing these topics to light and starting these conversations. Um, I love that they interviewed um, women of different skin tones and different experiences um, so that you can kind of hear from different people and how they relate to the issue of colorism. Um, So I would definitely check it out and support the guardian um, 
yeah. And I'm just like reading the comments right now and just like, you know, hearing how, of course, you know, the light skin girl is very big headed and like, you know, that's just, it is what it is. Like, you don't even have to watch a video to see that you scroll down to the comments and you can already see that peaking from the video itself. So it's a very interesting dynamic um, in the video. Um, so please do watch it. Light skin brothers and sisters, uh, please, we need to wa- watch our privilege and also um, advocate for our um, brothers and sisters who are um, darker than us because um, they, they, they go through it. They go through it and um, it's a very, very depressing and traumatic. So um, look out for one another. And those are all of my documentaries. So good. So amazing. Yes. Be kind to one another, y'all. Y'all know hurting people hurt others. So right. Let's not. Let's- all right. Let's get into our next segment. Personal Everest. Hey. So Personal Everest. When one makes a big summit up a mountain, say Mount Everest, for example, there are a set of skills and tools that one must adhere to or master with a great team around them to get the job done. So the personal Everest for a director making a documentary is showcasing the humanity of it all, I would think. So for instance, my documentaries were all music-based. So when dealing with a public figure or someone who used to be in the limelight or something like that, you have to be able to harness that humanity in a way so that everyone can see the individual behind the glitz and glam and be able to see the person for who they are. While at the same time, you also have to showcase through production why they are where they are in life. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think for dealing with that tailored to music. What, what do you think is a personal Everest for a director doing a, a doc, Taj? I know you do docs. You were just talking about um, your documentary. That yes. Movie, yeah. <laughs> I definitely think as, as an arising um, director, when watching these documentaries and um, making documentaries as well, I think is definitely all about the humanity. You want to showcase um, you're you're coming from it from a specific angle, and most documentaries is to shed light on the truth. Um, when I think of documentaries, I think of truth. That's the word that um, comes to mind. Um, so I think definitely showcasing um, the truth it reels people in because you know when you watch a documentary you're watching it to learn something and to experience something that um, you didn't before like with Marie Kondo's series um, I'm learning how to um, declutter my life in an effective way I'm also learning about a new culture because um, she's Japanese and so I'm like learning about that um with 13th i'm diving you know more into race relations and you know mass incarceration and things of that sort so you're educating yourself so it's important to um tell the truth but also i think the important thing in documentaries is tell your tell your angle tell your story from your angle right but also showcasing within the documentary the other side as well because if it's one-sided then people are just going to be like oh okay well that's just your opinion um But if you showcase like within 13th, you know, people were interviewed who had different, you know, had different views than the um, black folk who were in the documentary. Um, Likewise, with um, the Nike documentary, we get to, you know, interview those who are, you know, of power and status. And we also talk to those who are um, who are, you know, poor. (laughs) So. It's just all about the angles. Even with the colorism documentary, you have, you know, light-skinned girl, you got brown-skinned girl, you have a dark-skinned girl, and you have a plethora of people. So I think it's important to, in documentaries, show, come from your angle, but within that, show 
um, both angles, if that makes sense. Well, I hope you enjoyed our show this week. Thank you for listening. Um, tune in next week. We will be discussing sequels. 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 Said it twice. Um, <laughs> are they really not worth the stress of production, or are they the best at serving up a refreshing take on an old classic? Hmm. Well, I know. Good question. We don't know. Well, we will talk about that next week. Um, Coming... <laughs> Um, hear our honest opinion. Feel free to follow us on social media to stay updated on this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Shea Butter Pop. Follow us on Instagram at Shea Butter Popcorn or follow us individually. You can follow me at Chelsea J Music on Twitter or Instagram. And you can follow your girl at Tajiana underscore on Twitter or Instagram. Yes, that is all one word, all lowercase. Follow us. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. DM us. Blow up our DMs. Let us know what topics you want us to dive into, y'all. Peace. All right. Peace. All right. Bye.